Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining this uh, webinar held by XAPA.org. Uh, we advise, invest, and advocate as a mission-driven organization. And today's webinar is, as always, recorded and accessible for you if you want to podcast uh, the content and share with colleagues or stakeholders, which basically is the topic of the webinar that we're having today, which we'll discuss environmental, social, and governance uh, considerations and stakeholder engagement in a contentious digital era. We'll explore those concepts in a minute. Um, and prior to getting into um, an introduction of what we are and how best we are uh, exploring this content, uh, we will uh, share a few online meeting instructions. My name is Farid. I am working for Xapa.org and I will be the facilitator of the conversation today. Um, these are displayed um, a few online meeting instructions to make the most of this webinar today. Um, make sure that you give a name uh, where it's better for everyone to know who you are, basically, um, especially if you want to use the chat function and share questions this way, knowing that you will be all muted. That's the best um, that we have uh, to ensure good quality of the, um, the, the sound for everyone. Uh, we will not use videos um, for our uh, panelists, nor uh, for any of the people who are going to take part in this webinar. It's just a way to save bandwidth and uh, maximize quality of sun and, and energy efficiency of carbon footprint of that, of that session. You can invite other participants, uh, use social media, including at SAPA.org, so we can track and every participant can track the conversation going on. Uh, the participant list is accessible mostly through LinkedIn. Um, you're, um, I think today you're a bit more than 100 and there are 10 people uh, who registered this way. So the full list is accessible this way. Uh, webinar being uh, increasingly a great way to network with um, other people um, as part of those, um, those discussions. Um, close to the end of the webinar, a short poll uh, will be um, activated. And uh, there were just three questions. Thank you so much for your contribution. It's a good way for all of us to know um, uh, to which extent you'll be satisfied with the content that we're providing to your attention today. So coming to the core of the decision, ESG and stakeholder engagement in a contentious digital era. So first and foremost, any of you actually already know who we are at you're part of our ecosystem as well, you're joining. It's always good to uh, include, introduce briefly to what is XAPAC. set up as a dot .org organization um, to accelerate the transformation of investors and companies addressing the Agenda 2030, the global goal. Um, we are exploring that through three activities. First, we conduct some advisory activities. Uh, we conduct some strategic um, assessments to understand where companies are standing and how best they can accelerate, amplify, scale up programs to address the big issues of the decade. And for us, the big issues on which we're working are mostly human rights and inclusive goals, circular economy, and climate um, and adaptation to climate. Um, so we have consulting activities in that space. Most importantly, at the core of our activities, we lead investment activities. We design, structure, impact investing schemes, 
ensuring that uh, tapping into the potential of digital solutions, we scale up and amplify programs addressing the issues of human right remediation, adaptation and transformation in response to climate um, pressure and exponential uh, development of circular economy um, as part of the economy. Our clients and stakeholders are mostly investors, companies, business associations, exploring what they can do new uh, to adapt to uh, the decade in which we are. Um, and because we are set up as a dot or organization, uh, we lead uh, regularly a lot of um, advocacy work. Some are funded by foundations um, and some are basically just uh, part of our core mission. And you can see a good number of um, resources at the mission section on our website. We operate with a core team. We headquartered in Paris, but we also operate as part of um, coaching with uh, core skills in sustainability, digital uh, skills, finance, um, and sustainability. We have strategic partners bringing technical um, and complementary expertise, for example, on data science or on carbon from a technical standpoint. And we operate with a number of affiliates, a bit more than 150 based across the world, able to, uh, to support our program with local presence and complementary um, uh, skills. Um, typically, when we uh, deploy programs in um, uh, Indonesia, for example, or in the US, we operate with uh, people based across those geographies. Um, this is um, an overview of some of the uh, resources, which are all um, accessible to all of you. Report let's run. Um, but I think, and for those of you who registered this way, we uploaded uh, a recent briefing. Guidance um, that are basically very closely aligned with the core of the conversation today to refresh uh, stakeholder engagement activities. Um, so that's an example of briefing paper. Um, when it comes to a production of regular blog articles, we have a good number of those addressing the questions of um, investments, the role of investors um, to uh, factor human rights, to engage boardroom on climate discussions, among other topics. Um, and um, we have series of webinars. This webinar, which you are attending today, is one that is part of um, series of, of monthly webinars that have been held all year long on human rights, climate, uh, circular economy, uh, inclusive growth. Um, and so all of those webinars are accessible on the publication section on our website. Uh, moving to the, the discussion, I think it's important um, to introduce to the concept of stakeholder engagement as something which is basic um, for many taking part in this conversation, yet we believe this is really a complex topic. It's basic because for those of you who are familiar with the kind of academia aspect of it, um, the concept was um, kind of not necessarily invented, structured conceptually back in the 80s um, around the dynamic of stakeholder engagement. So it's been there for more than 40 years right now. Um, although uh, everyone uh, in, in at Kappa, we have um, a methodologies and expertise, and we've been working extensively on mapping, engaging, facilitating stakeholder engagement activities. This is something we actually apply to ourselves because when we are working on our impact investing activities, we do lead a lot of stakeholder engagement, combining and aligning interests of investors, for example, industries. Um, 
local stakeholders benefiting from our program. So it's pretty complex and we know what we're talking about. Um, that's actually exactly why we believe that at the same time, uh, those activities are proven to be extremely complex. And complex, and we're displaying on the screen now, uh, five areas um, that sit behind engagement goals of stakeholder engagement activities, which overall generate um, either a question of fatigue, it is very difficult to build alignment across stakeholders, and um, some stakeholders are even frustrated, they don't feel that they're understood, listened to, um, and when you look at those five um, questions, um, restrictions, stakeholder engagement, you can understand that the question of effectiveness of stakeholder engagement activities is actually also at stake. At the end of the day, you can deploy a lot of resources with poor alignment and poor satisfaction from stakeholders, uh, which connects at the end of the day to the core concept that we are uh, addressing today, uh, indicators, impact. What at the end of the day will help a business to ensure that at the interface between its activities and what would be expected from stakeholders, there will be alignment, satisfaction for um, an ecosystem of people or organizations to believe that at the end of the day, what's um, rolled out, the program that is deployed, um, is aligned with expectations or at least addresses what's expected from multiple standpoints. Um, this raises another question um, around how to clarify the goals of stakeholder engagement. That sounds, again, basic yet complex. Um, at the end of the interaction between communication and action, stakeholder engagement not being pure um, top-down communication uh, with a company, for example, um, or a group of companies sharing a perspective to stakeholders we just have to listen to, but it's not necessarily a co-creation leader, meaning that every stakeholder has the same role to play to ensure that a process or a program um, is designed with full um, respect of what every stakeholder is really expecting to find. Um, so the goals have to be clarified to reduce risk of frustration, fatigue, and ensure effectiveness. Some might be more or less about pure top-down information, small communication, some might be more about co-creation. Then that raises the question of how to ensure that communication is uh, constructive um, across stakeholders. And then comes the concept of contentious digital era. In the previous slide, you could see that something that, has, that is really a game changer in stakeholder engagement have been, of course, the role of social media. But here, uh, at the beginning of the year, at SAPA, we released a report to us 2030, exploring at the end of the day what would be the key areas where increasingly the companies and investors would be expected to play a growing contribution addressing uh, the, the global goals. None of these has really changed uh, with the COVID-19 sanitary crisis, which instead have really exclusively accelerated and amplified what's displayed on the screen. Uh, meaning that here we've displayed six areas, which we believe have proven um, to be the core areas where stakeholder engagement is increasingly contentious in the sense that, and this is something that we observe ourselves from our roles, uh, working with um, multiple number of, of organizations, um, co-construction with stakeholders in a decade that is increasingly a decade of turbulence, 2020 up to 2020, 2030, 
um, is a decade where we can see that the question of decarbonization and climate, for example, is really contentious. And some stakeholders do not want to engage in constructive discussions with business, with investors, with um, authorities, if they don't feel that there is a sufficient level of uh, incorporation of the climate, for example, dimension into whatever sustainability plan. Um, and I can continue on and on with uh, uh, every uh, six topics you can find here. Social inequality is being another one that is extremely um, sensitive right now and has been exponentially increased um, in magnitude by uh, the COVID-19 crisis. So overall, stakeholder engagement today, uh, getting back to the indicators and to the capacity for um, companies or a group of companies or stakeholders to demonstrate and build trust with other stakeholders on environmental, social, ethics uh, criteria is difficult. And this is exactly where we will explore that question from different uh, angles that were panelists in a few minutes. We are showing here three um, solutions we believe are um, a good way forward uh, to those uncertainties and explore new ways to with stakeholders in constructive platforms where um, stakeholders can engage meaningfully together. First, there is a question um, of impact. The idea for us is to switch from the reporting on past performance and to explore impact targets, meaning that to, for, to onboard stakeholders on forward-looking activities. The point, if I take my example of climate, is not necessarily to prove that over the past few years, um, a company has been able to uh, decrease uh, climate impact by XYZ percent, but instead to be able to look forward, uh, commit to um, targets by 2030, and work the talk, demonstrate year after year capacity to be aligned uh, with the commitments which have been made. This is, this is proven uh, to be extremely useful to build more alignment. Alignment being the point number two. Um, it's all about working on the linkages across perspectives. An investor is not necessarily looking for the same information than um, an NGO um, when both are interested in climate. That implies that from um, point number one, impact measurement, Point number two, element implies to work on translation, to work on um, a flexible assessment of impact measurement that can align with the interests of different stakeholders. So it's multifaceted approaches of, um, of how the information can be shared uh, across um, an ecosystem of stakeholders, which implies, and that's the point number three, that is at the bottom of that, um, of that slide, um, that raises the question of data. That's exactly why we've, um, we believe that data, of course, for many of you, is clearly understood as being a source of intelligence um, and of competitiveness for the years to come. But we explore the concept of data from a different perspective. And here, for the purpose of the webinar today, we explore data as being um, a, a lever of uh, alignment and impact measurement um, to engage stakeholders meaningfully on extra financial um, uh, information. Um, that's why we've uh, incorporated core uh, digital skills within our, uh, our organization. That's why we have strategic partners who really are experts in data science, for example. 
And the idea is really to explore accessible data as much as proxy data, uh, which might help uh, to build the right level of quality and, uh, and trust in the information that can be provided in a multifaceted manner, building uh, trust and commitment of multiple stakeholders around a sustainability journey. Moving on, we will explore those concepts of impact measurement, element, and data with um, a summary that will be the closing of this introduction. Going forward, and as we are entering uh, a decade which fundamentally is shaped by a triple revolution of the digital revolution, reshaping completely the concept of work, the environmental revolution that is putting a very strong constraint uh, on companies uh, which have to accelerate transformation to adapt to uh, the pressures of coming from water, biodiversity preservation, and pressure from climate, for example. And the third revolution being the social revolution. Inequalities are proven to be on the rise, generating a lot of social explosive uh, context across the globe. All these three revolutions being accelerated and exponentially um, uh, putting an exponential pressure on companies and investors uh, in the COVID-19 context. At the end of the day, we do encourage our ecosystem of investors, companies, and businesses to explore three things when it comes to stakeholder engagement. The clarification of engagement goals. At the end of the day, clarifying what really uh, will be material from the perspective of different stakeholders as a way to proceed efficiently uh, in engagement activities. The development of new formats of collaboration to reduce risks of frustration and ensure that constructive exchanges can happen. And third, exploring the concept of impact measurement, um, which implies that companies uh, can explore the power of data um, to explore typically predictability and build forward-looking understanding of, of the sustainability journey. We thought we would explore those concepts um, with uh, all of you, and you can use typically the chat function for any question, any clarification that you have um, through uh, uh, a discussion with our uh, panelists uh, who are going to bring um, very different perspectives, but I think they are extremely complementary. Um, the perspective more at the intersection between the role of corporate organizations and investors uh, working on building alignment um, on extra financial measurement. And another perspective um, that is more coming from the ground, I would say for the field, um, which explores the concept of uh, stakeholder engagement and uh, innovative approaches or collaborations across agricultural commodities, um, building uh, alignment uh, between stakeholders with outcome-based um, efforts on certification. Um, so I will encourage my two uh, great panelists to briefly introduce uh, themselves. I will start with Susan Palmer, who can introduce herself just in a second. Hello, Susan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you very much for the interesting introduction. 
so let me build on that. So my name, uh, as will appear, um, also alludes to my, you know, character of being somebody who's uh, storming forwards. Um, that's how I like to think of it. So you have uh, in your name, Sapa, uh, interesting alliterations to, uh, to history. Um, I also say that my first name, Suzanne, uh, short Sus, is Sus for sustainable. So that's what I do. Um, and in the role that I have at Nova Nordisk, um, I am um, keeping the organization on its toes, ensuring that we um, continue to be a leader with uh, high and forward standards for uh, what it takes to be a sustainable business. And for us, sustainable business is to uh, create value to society and also to, to the business. So I think enough of that, you can, you can read more on our website. But I wanted to actually take us back in time uh, as a way of setting the stage because um, when I, or soon after I joined Noah Nordisk in the early 2000s, um, Noah Nordisk found itself in a contentious situation where the, um, where the rights-based NGOs, uh, the anti-globalization movement, had uh, seen an opportunity to target the pharmaceutical industry for actually preventing uh, young kids, young people in South Africa from getting HIV AIDS medicines uh, because of a debate over uh, patent rights. So this was a critical business issue and a court case. Um, and I won't elaborate so much on that, but I think what was interesting uh, at the time was that first of all, the uh, civil society organizations even in, in these early days of social media, were much more agile, much better at using uh, ways of targeting the companies on their home turf very effectively than the companies themselves. So we were simply too slow and too late in our response at the time. Um, another thing that, that was very clear is that Novo Nordis found itself uh, caught on you know, in, in a case that we felt we were not really uh, complicit in because this was about medicines that we didn't produce. But of course, the notion of uh, the right to health and access to medicines continues to this very day to be uh, a critical issue. And the reason why I bring up this case from, from our uh, dark and distant history is that it does have trends to how we engage with investors today. Because at the time, um, you know, the crisis was fended off. We, we actually uh, handled it by our CEO engaging in a dialogue with these uh, critical voices, with the uh, civil society organizations to ask them, you know, what are your concerns? And then to better understand the why behind their, their rage, um, and then to actually begin to change our practices to accommodate what was their legitimate ask. 
But at the time, it didn't affect our business. It didn't affect our share price one bit. If this had happened today, it certainly would have had different repercussions. So taking us into the era of ESG investments and how we engage with stakeholders, I fully subscribe to your analysis that um, the real value lies in engagement. But what you need to bear in mind is that stakeholders tend to define themselves as somebody who has a stake in what your business is doing. And very often inside the business, you may not even know that these stakeholders define themselves as stakeholders. So I think before you can even engage, you need to be able to identify what are the key issues or to use a professional term, what are the salient issues, um, what are the concerns that are being raised that you need to address. And for that, uh, in a company like Novo Nordis, there are people like me who actually have in our role to, uh, to sense um, and to understand what are the early signals of movement. So um, today we can see waves of, you know, whether it's biodiversity or, uh, you know, other more mature areas like social justice, uh, climate change, etc. All of these started as early, very kind of quiet voices, but I would say they have been raised very early on also by some investors, but typically by investors that were considered to be on the fringes, kind of niche investors. So they weren't necessarily taking, take, well, I wouldn't say not taken seriously, but they weren't really given priority. So what we've done uh, over the past 20 years that I've been with the company is to really engage with uh, ESG investors in a strategic manner where we uh, do several things. So one is we communicate what we think is important and we do that in our reporting. So in our annual and quarterly reporting, and we've just changed our practice to emphasize that even in our quarterly reporting, purpose and sustainability comes first and financials must follow. So at least that's a way of organizing the information, how we manage the business, and also how we communicate with stakeholders. We can elaborate on that. So, uh, so that's about how we speak, how we reach out to investors. The other one is that, of course, we still pick up the phone. So if anybody wants to engage with us on a topic, whether it's uh, bioethics, research ethics, or something else, we have a conversation and we learn from these conversations and we bring it on the agenda and raise it to the level of the attention of our executive management and our board. Um, and then we also now systematically use um, um, AI to, uh, to inform ourselves of what are the emerging issues. So what are we not being asked yet that we need to be prepared for? So again, in a digital era, we actually can 
use technology to also lay our ears to the ground. But it never replaces the um, interaction between real people, understanding what is it that you want to know, why is it important to you, how can we then engage together to actually address this issue and make sure that we drive performance towards excellence. Uh, and here it has to be towards clearly defined goals for sustainable development. And then that can lead us into a discussion of how do we actually measure uh, impact. That's still the holy grail in our corporate reporting. How do we know our impacts, both the uh, adverse impacts, the unwanted impacts, as well as the positive impacts that we can pursue through our core activities. And in that effort, again, coming back to the engagement, we reach out to investors as well as to other stakeholders to explore with them what can be meaningful metrics, what can be desirable goals, and how do we then together pursue them and hold the company accountable for performance to its stakeholders and stakeholders would include shareholders. So I think I will uh, wrap up with that for now and uh, leave room for Christelle, and then uh, I'm sure that we can get into discussions uh, after that. I will have a question for you, but think about it. Um, and I'll prefer for now have the um, presentation made by Christelle. But um, uh, a participant is asking about um, uh, uh, artificial intelligence um, that can be leveraged uh, to explore impact measurement. Um, I think about that and we'll come back to that later. Um, yep. And for now, uh, let me introduce to Christelle, who can introduce briefly herself. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your perspective, Christelle. And uh, we found it very interesting to uh, invite Christelle and Bonsucro sharing um, an interesting initiative that uh, uh, Christelle can introduce just in a minute. Yes, hello, thank you. Um, well, first of all, my surname probably is nowhere near as exciting as Susan's surname. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what to turn it into, but uh, so I'm, I'm Christelle Delby. So I'm Head of Innovation Partnership at Bon Sucro. So those of you not uh, familiar with Bon Sucro, we are a global standard for the sustainable production of sugarcane. And um, as part of the work that I do with Bon Sucro, I've, I've been privileged enough to, to be behind a very exciting program which um, caught the, eyed, uh, the eyes of Sapa Farid um, in that it kind of plays on some of the themes that um, Farid has presented today in terms of um, what makes successful partnerships or stakeholder engagement. So, I'll give you a brief overview of what this partnership was about and then try to, you know, pick out some of the things that um, make this partnership um, a success and hopefully we can, we can learn from. So this partnership with um, Bonsuko has just announced a partnership. It's a three years partnership um, um, with the support, which has been possible with the support of ICL, the ICL Innovation Fund. 
And behind that, there's also the support of um, SECO, the Swiss State Secretariat for Economic Affairs. Um, the partners for this project, for, in terms of delivery, are is the University of Minnesota doing all the hard work uh, of the, the works that I will basically explain in a minute. And in terms of the beauty of it is that we've managed to get around the table unusual, unusual combination of, of organizations. So we've got Diageo, PepsiCo and Tetra Pak in terms of the, the corporate. And also, interestingly, two other um, commodity standards, sustainable commodity standards with RSPO and the GPSNR, which is a global platform for sustainable natural rubber. So you might think, what, what are those as people doing together? So basically, um, as some of you may know, the challenge that voluntary sustainability standards face is that whilst they're trying to, you know, really govern our social and environmental improvement in agriculture and supply chain, they tend to be based on um, past impact rather than looking forward. And this is what we're looking to change here. Um, the other problem that they, they have is that they don't, they don't differentiate between different landscapes. So generally, if you have a standard like ours or RSPO, the, the set, the threshold and the KPIs tend to be the same. The rules tend to be the same wherever you operate, which as you can imagine, can vary greatly, whether it's, you know, if you talk about environmental impact like water or carbon, uh, or, or, you know, soil health, for example. So that's, that's part of what sits at the heart of the, 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 the challenge. Another challenge that commodity buyers have is that they want science-based principles and methodology to help future standard setting. Um, with the, um, the growth of science-based target, you can see how that's increasingly expected in, in, in this space. Um, and then, Voluntary standard like ourselves, obviously, we want to be able to show uh, credible impact assessment by using scenarios. And also we want to be able to project in the future to be able to call for action um, so that you know, we can make, make more of a business case for implementing uh, standard. And then finally, the commodity buyers, and they, they, they don't they have a finite amount of resources and they, they need to target, they've got great need of tools to target and prioritize where it is that they're going to put the efforts. You know, are they going to focus on, you know, water in, in India or are they going to put more effort into soil erosion, soil depletion, soil quality depletion in another country, for example. So in terms of the solution to the program, um, without going into the, the scientific detail, the program is called Outpace Standard and Landscape Approach. It basically consists in using science and um, with the support of, of a whole range of databases that fit into it to basically build algorithm to and geosatellite imagery to look into the future. So basically you can start to model using the indicators as we have now and modeling the limitation, the environmental limitation or projection for the countries that we're targeting, looking at where the crisis will become most acute and for which environmental indicator. So this like a picture into the future that can guide two days, um, two days action really in terms of 
either resetting the standard or prioritizing action from the corporates. The key focus are on yield, water use, nutrient loading, um, greenhouse gas emissions, um, land conversion, land use change, habitat loss, and economic costs as well. And as I said, the, behind all this is, is the extreme use of science to, to be able to look into, into the future. The difference here as well is that we are looking at the landscape level. So the idea in the future is by identifying the hotspots by country is to move to a place where we have standards are set, threshold that are different per country. This is something that Bonsucre has already done with yield in the past, uh, but working with the University of Minnesota. So we now have different yield thresholds for sugarcane for different regions of the world. In terms of, so this is a project, the program as it is, a three-year program uh, with all, the, all those wonderful actors around the table. And reflecting on what Farid was saying about, you know, what makes stakeholder engagement or multi-stakeholder platform work, you mentioned earlier that having clarity uh, in the engagement, clarity of the goals around the table is very important. Well, in this project, this certainly happens. Um, basically, it's very clear that, okay, Minnesota, the University of Minnesota has been working on this program using progressively developing that method, that technology over the few years, and they are looking for the next iteration of the technology. So they are, they are in the right space for this. ICEAL is looking to convene different um, member from the ICEAL membership, so different standards working together, sharing their problems, innovating together. So their needs are met. If you look at the corporates around the table for this program, their needs are, will be met also by the design of the program because what they want to do more than anything is to be able to build a business case for implementation of standard and action into their supply chain by looking into the future. And by doing so, they're also you making a better use, more efficient use of their resources to improve their sustainable value chain. So that's how, you know, in terms of, you know, everybody's getting something out of it. So the project, the program is very, very sticky. Another thing that Farid mentioned is that um, we need to find ways to develop, to develop trust. And what I've discovered works best um, on this occasion is to first work on one-on-one -on -one with all the individual uh, stakeholders, the individual partners to really deeply understand their needs and how they work. As you can imagine, um, a university behaves very differently from a corporate or a standard or even a membership organization like ICEAL. So it's very, very key to understand what behind, behind it, the actual delivery of the project, what are their needs and how can they be met? After that, once everybody's needs has been listened to, it is key to have complete transparency. And there we brought everybody together and all the conversation were to be had at the same table, virtual table, of course, um, at the same table um, and, and with everything being disclosed, the, all the documents being shared equally amongst all the partners. So that was very important. And 
it's interesting that a lot of people may see maybe contracting as a necessary evil, but actually I think it sits at the heart of the partnership in that it's like assigning a prenuptial agreement with someone in that you foresee what issues might occur in the future and you bring them forward. And that's, it's not easy uh, by, by any mean. Um, we've had eight parties signing three different sets of contracts. It was lengthy, but it enabled us to, to you know, um, iron out issues around privacy, around IP. As you can imagine, the needs of a corporate, the needs of the university around IP are very different um, when it comes to that kind of program. But we managed to find a level playing field for everyone. And then finally, um, I think what this program illustrates is the, the power of looking at impact measurement into the future rather than looking back and the power of data to enable to make, to inform decision-making and to rally everybody around the table. Um, so, I mean, to recap on the outcomes of, thanks to that data, what we're hoping to get um, from the program is that we will be able to measure the impact of voluntary standards on multiple commodities. We will um, identify how voluntary standards like von Sucre standard, RSPO, GPSNR can adapt to maximize the impact that they have when organizations apply them. And hopefully as well, it will identify, help identify policies that can increase the uptake of voluntary standard. Um, and then there's obviously another, another um, opportunity, which is around uh, the alignment of the, of the standards around the SDGs. So hopefully that gives you a little, little um, bit of a, you know, appetizer as to how this program uh, played to some of the themes, themes that Farid presented earlier. And we can take questions. Yes, that's exciting and fascinating, and I do have questions. Um, we'll get back to those just in a second. Um, so we know the question, getting back to Suzanne, um, is if uh, you can um, uh, elaborate a little bit further, an example of for your uh, leveraging um, um, artificial intelligence. Um, and I think you mentioned that you were working on impact measurement in that space. And a question that can come to the two of you, and though, Suzanne, you can start uh, addressing that question and we can come back to you, Christelle, is um, to which extent you in intend going forward and in the future to what kind of KPI you have um, to manage um, uh, the satisfaction of stakeholders uh, going forward, meaning that, you know, they make, in, in your case, Christelle, they're making a three-year commitment and every six months, every year, do you plan a kind of quality review or are there any firm indicators uh, that you plan to use to ensure that, well, everyone is supposed to be satisfied because the whole initiative is meeting those, those indicators? And maybe Suzanne has also some uh, recipes or tips uh, related to that when you onboard stakeholders on sensitive topics or uh, strategic topics, um, how to, to maintain the ongoing commitment and, and, and support of stakeholders, because of course there will be some uh, hurdles on the way. Susan, artificial intelligence and uh, managing expectations and ongoing commitment of stakeholders uh, 
um, moving forward. That sounds, that sounds like a super easy question. You know? uh, so, so, uh, so first of all, yes, so artificial intelligence, we definitely use it to understand the landscape, you know, as I said, to listen to what is going on. But, uh, but we also need, uh, we also need data in different ways so that we can understand what's um you know not so much what is the target but rather are we getting there and i wanted to first of all you know compliment christelle for for sharing that example because i i actually would say that i envy you for your ability to also uh use information uh data for for that you know particular program but uh let me take you back into the world that um is is Novo Nordisks and and where one of the biggest challenges we have coming back to what I said about uh, providing access to uh, healthcare and uh, and ultimately achieving good health for all as is one of the sustainable development goals. So um, so one of the specific goals uh, that has been said is that. Uh, we should reduce the number of people who have chronic diseases or rather who die uh, prematurely with chronic diseases. That number should be reduced by, by one third uh, towards 2030. And then we can look at the data for uh, how much medicine we sell. We can make proxies for how many people we reach. But the key question here is that Whereas we do have medicines that are effective, that are statistically significantly better than competitors, then we honestly don't know if they work. Because we know that they work in a clinical setting, but in so-called real life settings, then there are so many other factors that are at play. The most important one, of course, is whether the patient is actually taking the medicine as they should. And here, of course, using, um, you know, using wearables, using your phone, having information from the individual uh, patient to the provider of medicine, which is not necessarily all the way to Novo Nordisk, but the intermediaries, will give us so much more information about the real impact, uh, meaning not just the outcome, but the impact measured as better health. And again, coming back to the investor nexus, um, that is something we know that investors are keen to uh, get better understanding of because you know, at the end of the day, we all need data, but we also need context for the data. And, um, and, and we want to know if what we are doing is actually moving the needle. And I will confess to you that we haven't found that magic wand yet that will be able to, or rather that will enable us to document that providing medicines uh, is actually helping people with chronic diseases to live the lives that they want 
to live a life to the full. And so here, I think we can use all the help we can get. And we are, because we are engaging with various stakeholders on initiatives where we can get closer to the ground, uh, work also with our systemic interventions that include anything from prevention to, uh, to the medical uh, treatment. Um, but I think I will stop here to also allow time for, for reflection and, uh, and also hand back to, to Christelle. Yes, hello. Um, so, Fari, just to play back your question to you, because I'm, I'm obviously we're presenting very different things uh, with Suzanne, but um, it was in terms of monitoring the health of the stakeholder relationship across the lifetime of the program. Is that right? Okay, maybe you're on mute. Bienvenue sur Zoom. Veuillez entrer votre identifiant de réunion suivi du signe dièse. Press zero to choose English. <laughs> Go right ahead. Stop. Okay, we've got technical problem, but we're back on. Great, we're back on. You're on. Ready's uh, on. Yep. Okay, yep. so I'll assume I should assume I've got the question right in terms of um, right. life cycle of the. Of the of program or stakeholder engagement and and KPIs to keep um, the finger on the pulse. So when it comes to when it comes to us, I think the first thing is that there's there's like unspoken feedback, unspoken, un, unstructured feedback, and structured feedback. So I think first of all, in partnership like the one we've got in place at the moment and and many others, it's important to regularly throughout the ongoing engagement with the partners, with the stakeholders to, to pick up signs of dissatisfaction or satisfaction and to, to be aware, to be very constantly looking out for signs. So that's the, you know, the below the line um, KPI measurement. And I think there is a, a purpose, you know, on purpose set of actions that need to be put in place. So because we're working with, um, with ICEAL, there is, um, which is great, there's great structure. We have basically have to report back on the partnership to ICEAL at regular interval to report on progress. And that is a perfect opportunity for us to ask the, um, the stakeholders whether they're, they're you know, learning from the partnership as much as they wanted to, and whether it's meeting, you know, meeting their needs, and and their needs are by any means not very um, homogeneous. Some corporates uh, and some um, stand probably more corporates are more. I want to have a lighter, um, you know, lighter engagement, and other want to have a more hands-on engagement. So you've got to make sure that you 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 deliver, uh, you know, the, the the service, the level of engagement that they're they are after. So, so overall, my answer is it's done on a day-to-day -day basis, on a, you know, engagement by engagement base, and also done more purposely as part of the overall structure of management of the program. Yep, thank you. I got a, another question to the two of you. Um, some stakeholders might have 
and the thinking particularly of those with a legal background, uh, difficulties to switch from um, backwards uh, assessment to forward-looking commitment um, because of some legal consideration. You commit to something and at the end of the day, and at least it's something that has come across some of your contributions, there are basically some unknown, um, and that's beauty of, of refreshing stakeholder engagement approaches. Uh, there are some unknowns that are to be accepted. But what would be uh, a tip or an argument that uh, each of you would have uh, to secure um, the perspective of, of, of uh, people with that kind of legal background and or actually it's the question is coming from someone who has a, an investor uh, perspective and of course when you're an investor you prefer to commit to past performance um, rather than uh, <laughs> making any commitment to future performance simply because you don't know. I'm very curious about one argument or tip that the two of you would have for our um, uh, audience in that space. Maybe Suzanne you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. I think, I mean, I do recognize that legal background and the speculative uh, information, forward-looking information. Um, but I think maybe just to to pick up on, on the example that Christelle is sharing is that at least when you, when you engage with stakeholders on a joint project, then of course it's incredibly important to be very clear on, uh, you know, what are the intended goals and then what are the, um, you know, what are the constraints or um, what's, what would be the provisions that you need to make. Um, yeah, I think, uh, typically, you would have with your partners different expectations and also different appetite on pace um, I think it's it's incredibly important to have that, you know, alignment of expectation, and then taking that back to investors. At least in Novo Nordisk, we generally take a very conservative approach. So, whereas uh, with our partners on what we are trying to accomplish, we can set ambitious goals. Um, we also are more cautious in what we communicate to the financial market because that does come across as uh, as financial guidance and if we don't have sufficient certainty then uh, you know we will uh, hold back on that. Christel, maybe any um, experience for example as you were working on those uh, complex contractual um, engagements on IP, privacy, whatever other sensitive aspect in terms of argument to secure contribution of people who are pretty conservative and look at things yeah. from a legal aspect. Yeah, so be before I moved on to that, I, I, I've jotted down some notes on, you know, the, the idea, first of all, of convincing anyone around this program, which is pretty, pretty big, forward-looking, quite thought-leading, um, and that it's not always easy to convince people of that kind of level of, 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 inv of investment in terms of the intellectual investment. And this was facilitated, I think, by the fact that we now have science-based targets that are becoming increasingly used by organizations. So the idea of using science and having, you know, a rash, very almost mathematical rationale behind setting targets, that's helping. Um, we only approach 
those organizations that we thought were mature enough to, to get it. So that helps the conversation because there are some doors that will never be open um, with program like this. And um, in terms of the contract, so in terms of the contract, as I, I guess I said earlier, this coming to an, an understanding on those elements was facilitated because we, we took the time at the beginning of the program to sit down with each party and really understand what, what concern they already may have about certain things. So we could see it, we could see it coming. We could see, and we, it's also important to respect there is no right or wrong. There is different stakeholders coming at the same, the same topic with a different lens and each of their values or their approach is valuable, is to be respected. I think that's very, very important. And as soon as each of the stakeholders feel respected, they feel reassured and I think they feel more able to have a, a more open dialogue. So IP wasn't easy, but ultimately the interesting thing is that even though you know, the NGOs, the, the, the standards, the corporates and the University of Minnesota and ICL were very different. We were ultimately, we realized if you strip down the, 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 the complex legal jargon, we all understood eventually that we were aiming in the same direction, which was a common good. That despite the complexity of the contracting, we had to learn to rise above it in a way and agree that in principle, we all agreed and then start from there. Interestingly, with the chat function, I can see uh, notably uh, those uh, connecting from the US. We really like your comment on uh, using the science to <laughs> build alignment uh, in the stakeholder community and science-based targets. That sounds to be uh, to ring a bell <laughs> in the context of local elections. Um, uh, more seriously uh, related to the webinar, um, this is, these are very, very useful and valuable um, uh, suggestions um, uh, to build um, that kind of trust. We're running to the end of that webinar format. And um, as always, I know it might be uh, uh, difficult and different from um, a workshop uh, when at least at the end of the session, we can um, meet and, uh, and discuss on the side. Um, there is a poll and thank you so much for those who have um, been able to, um, uh, to, uh, to take part in the poll. Uh, others, please uh, share what you think about um, the content of this webinar. Maybe, a closing word that I will ask to the two of you, um, and I will start with, with Suzanne, then just in, um, in, in really 30 seconds. Anything um, that has been um, uh, uh, inspiring uh, from the, the discussion held today to help you in your work? And I will ask the same question to you, Christelle. Yes, lots of inspiration from the program that Christelle shared. Uh, agree to science-based targets. Um, raising another issue is we don't have science-based targets for everything. So what we miss is science-based targets for the prosperity of humanity. Thank you so much. And Crystal, anything a key takeaway from this discussion that is useful for, for your work starting tomorrow. Yeah, sure. I guess I've, I've really enjoyed the diversity of the big differences between 
the approach that Susan brought to the table today and then myself and that how, however, that dovetailed into some of the, not the recommendation, but the building block for partnership that you presented to us. And I think that's, those building block will be useful for me to start thinking about partnerships with, you know, from a, from a different lens. And, and, and I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take that away for today. Yeah, excellent. I think the topic is so, at the end of the day, complex that it's actually a value I would try to bring with those series of webinars and uh, sharing uh, perspective to uh, generate some uh, cross-fertilization. I will close the format that we have today just uh, with uh, upcoming activities. First, uh, I really want to warmly thank the two of you for your, your contribution today. Um, any additional information uh, uh, that you can share uh, is, I know for Bonsucro accessible directly on the website at the end of the day. Um, for the Bernardis, you mentioned, Suzanne already, um, a few uh, key documents of reference people can have access to, um, public information. But if you have any questions, please, you can feel free to share them to um, um, uh, my way or using the, um, the, 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 the chat function in, um, in LinkedIn. Um, as this is part of a series of webinar and next webinar uh, uh, that uh, you can actually already um, uh, mark up in your agendas is in December to be held on um, uh, climate action, that make a connection with science-based targets on climate. Uh, the point of that webinar will be to explore financial structuring uh, solutions um, enabling to onboard um, uh, business entities and strategic uh, suppliers in uh, a climate journey. In uh, other words, it's about exploring how to build a fund um, that can enable uh, in a context where a lot of strategic suppliers with COVID-19 are short of cash to still access liquidities and invest in um, climate uh, related solutions. Uh, there are plenty of things going on and uh, we will explore that closely um, in that webinar. Uh, to ensure that uh, uh, the climate journey can um, carry on. And, um, and really it's interesting because there are really a lot of liquidities and financial solutions in that space. Um, and impact investors are really willing to invest. So um, come to us if you have any questions and join the webinar. And I will close, of course, you can follow us on uh, LinkedIn and, 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 and Twitter and Medium um, to keep um, um, connected to our resources. Um, feel free to um, download that, um, uh, a webinar uh, that is recorded um, and that you can share with uh, some of the colleagues and or to use as a resource to build alignment with your own stakeholders. I will close the webinar now and thank warmly um, Suzanne and Crystal for your contribution. Thank you very much everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting us. <laughs>